Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Welcome to another episode of the Heart-Centered Therapist podcast. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host, and I am thrilled to bring you my special guest today, Brianna Lefman. We are in two different time zones. She is on the West Coast in sunny California, and I am in frigid Maine. So let me tell you a little about Brianna. She's a licensed professional clinical counselor with over 18 years of clinical experience, as well as a clinical rehabilitation counselor. She's also a certified trauma counselor and specialist. Her practice, Hamsa Healing Space, is based in Beverly Hills, California, with an additional location in San Marcos, California. Brianna has personal lived experience with all of her primary areas of focus. She specializes in issues that she has personally endured and successfully navigated. She is a depth psychotherapist and uses experiential and brain spotting techniques to support people healing from complex trauma. Brianna is also an expert on group therapy, offering a wide range of groups on addiction, trauma, codependency, infidelity, grief, and more. She also offers consultation and training to therapists on group work. Most of all, Brianna is gifted with amazing empathy and vitality that is a true joy to experience. I love how she isn't afraid to show her human awkward side and laugh at herself. And I guarantee our conversation today will highlight her expertise and her effervescence. So let's get started. Welcome, Brianna. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm so excited. And I've known you for a while through our spheres in, in therapy Facebook worlds. So I know that you're considered like the group expert and a group guru, but most people don't know that. Before we dive into some of your expertise with groups, I'd love for you to share a little about your personal and professional journey to becoming a therapist. Sure. Well, like most of us in the field, a lot of us come from some fun, dysfunctional homes growing up. And the way I usually explain to people is um, my upbringing gave me all the absolute most beautiful tools that you can imagine to test out on a human beings in a dysfunctional system. Uh, so <laughs> I, since I was five years old, I knew that I was going to be a therapist one day. I actually, when wow. I was a little girl, <laughs> I used to play with um, toys and Barbies and I would actually set them up in a group setting and I would have a leader and the leader would be the therapist leading groups. And I have this vivid memory of, you know, being downstairs in the basement. I grew up on the East Coast and I would set them up in group therapy settings. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. <laughs> that is so cool. I mean, I played school, but I can't imagine being <laughs> so little and playing group therapy. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of my escape, but it was really fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. I did a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of international traveling and um, 
lived overseas and went backpacking around the globe when I was in mm. my 20s. So I skipped to almost all continents except the cold ones. I didn't go to Antarctica. Wow. <laughs> so I didn't go to the Arctic Circle. Um, but I, I spent a lot of time in Asia, all over mm. China and all over South America and all over Europe and the Middle East. And, you know, through all the experiences, staying in different hostels, I was humbled over and over and over again by stories of surviving war, mm. surviving genocide, surviving um, just significant atrocities from different people around the world. Um, and I'll never forget a woman that I met from Rwanda. And it was in this very small village and I'll, I'll never forget. And, and she told me her story. And I remember that day thinking, I wish she had some type of community where she could do healing. Wow. So eventually, you know, years and years down the road, when I ended up moving to San Diego, I you know, started exploring survivors of captivity and war. And mm. I had partnered with their agency and I had um, looked into, you know, how can I create this community for people who have been through unbelievably life altering events? And they have intuition. They, they just, their voice, you know, has just been gone for so many years when we um we started exploring the idea of launching groups I I realized I was on to something so I started building you know my practice around this idea of community Mm. and um I took different different specialties knowing that I really know um that that there are people around the globe that need Communities in which are facilitated because facilitated groups, they're very different than peer support groups. And I know we'll get into that, but, um, well, I mean, even now that, that might be a good segue to describe the difference because I mean, this is so powerful and so intense. Sure. So for people who are not familiar, so, um, facilitated groups are the the groups that I run. So I call them didactic groups. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of teaching and, and education that goes into the group. So I cover very specific, everything from, you know, different types of symptoms. You can expect expectations of symptoms, management of symptoms. For each group that I run, I develop an outline. And mm-hmm. I, I use the word curriculum very lightly uh, because I use it almost like a blueprint. I would never call the class curriculum. And here's why. I think it can feel very scary for people. I know for me personally, my, my body freezes. It says, ah, does that have to do with schoolwork or an assignment? And, and I right. really want that. So I really wanted the group structures to give off a sense of authentic, non-judgmental um, community with boundaries. And mm-hmm. with boundaries, it means that there's a facilitator. And it really does require very specific comfort in knowing how to set parameters and boundaries when running groups, because when we open up our community, you know, the internet is open to anyone and everyone. So there is a very careful, um, carefully designed screening process that I've developed to ensure that there are like-minded individuals that are participating in the groups versus a peer support group would be something in which um, I might just be an, a listener in the group and not actually interact or participate in leading or creating structure. So a lot of the groups that I've developed, they do come from personal lived experience, but I have in the past, you know, run groups that 
they kind of sprouted from meeting people along my travels. Mm. So years ago, I ran a survivors of captivity group. And that, that was one of the neatest experiences that I've ever had. And here's why. Mm. Yes, the group itself was, it, it was so heartwarming because there was laughter exchanged in the group. And it was, it was just yeah. human connection. But here's the neatest part. And this is right now I feel warm and giddy saying this. Yes, I, I feel it coming from you. I get so excited sharing this part. So one of the neatest parts about being able to run the groups in the way that I do is some of the specific group topics. I actually extend the option of if people want to, certainly not required, and I emphasize that time stem, um, if they'd ever like to extend expand their own support system after the group cycle ends, they are invited to the offer of being able to share their own contact information so that group mm-hmm. members, you know, can contact them. So one of the neatest kind of magical sproutings from the group, I recently received an email a few months back from a group participant from about six years ago. This is so neat. And the person said, I'm not sure you're aware, but a group of us ended up keeping in touch for over the years. And we ended up kind of creating our own support system and we ended up renting a house together. So they became such a close, neat community and Mm -hmm. such good friends. They became each other's family. So they ended up coming from different places and different locations. They met in this group and they formed a family. And it's things like that. I'm like, you cannot put words on this. Exactly. I have chills that, I mean, that's amazing. And that sense of belonging that you started and, and created for them. And then they expanded on that belonging, that, that connection. I mean, that was, that was like true kinship. I love that word and we seldom get to use it, but boom, that was it. Yeah. It's, I mean, I literally, I feel alive. Those, those are the mm-hmm. moments, those types of emails. When I receive an email back, like you cannot put anything on this. This is what I live for is, is these people went from, they felt invisible. They had no voice. They were terrified. I get lots of emails mm-hmm. before group cycles. I don't know if this is right for me. I don't really talk. I'm really afraid to, you know, be vulnerable. I, I don't really know what I'm looking for. My therapist says that I should join a group, but I'm really afraid. And right. then eight weeks later after a group cycle, I can't get them to stop being a chatterbox. And it's amazing. <laughs> and, you know, then, then they're sending updates with, you know, we moved in together. Like, it's just amazing. Oh, yeah. So, so inspiring for you to do yeah. this kind of work and get that Absolutely. feedback and, and see in, in a way, like see more direct progression as somebody like is willing to speak up in the group and you see that kind of progress versus in a therapy one-to-one situation, we don't always know what's going on outside the microcosm of our therapy session. Yeah. there It's just, it just lights up your heart. It's, it's so fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and this started for you, Brianna, with that woman from, from Rwanda and, and you thought I need to create community for people. Connection. I don't think I'll ever not run groups ever. There's just, I don't know how to explain it. Every week when I have it on my calendar and I know, oh, 10 women are waiting, they're waiting for Mm. their access to their community. I just look at myself as a conduit where I'm kind of laying out tools and concepts for them to choose from, which resonate, and they get to use them. 
And it's so neat to also, and what another really neat part is that you really watch a person come to life. I have a, a very recent group cycle in mind from my sexual trauma group. And I, I just will never, ever forget this person. This, this person had a very extensive, very extensive history. And they had backed out of group on two separate occasions. And then they finally decided, all right, I'm going to go for it. And by the end of the group cycle, they, they wanted to register again for another cycle. And, and, and they, they decided to go back to school to become a therapist. And it's, it's just the neat, oh. you know, it's just neat <laughs> how, how these groups move people. Yeah, right. That I feel like the pride that you have about this, this member and, and imagining you know, how excited she'd be to tell you, this is what I'm doing. My career is changing. My confidence is so different. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I don't know how to explain it, but I feel so alive and exhilarated talking about this. I, I absolutely adore my clients and the group Mm -hmm. participants. I just adore them. There's just such an easy connection watching them go from, I'm terrified, but I'm going to force myself to just be and see what mm-hmm. happens to, hey, people think what I have to say and my feelings are important. Yeah. And it, it's just, there's, you can't put anything on that. It's, it's really neat. I, I hear and feel the joy. And yet I'm also, you know, I've, I've done my research and I know like you're working with really, really hard issues and, and folks that have been through, you know, so much trauma and different challenges. I mean, I think the incredible range of therapy groups you have, and I think you mentioned it's like 11 or 12 different ones that you currently run, but let, let me just um, list some of them because I think it's important for our listener to get the whole range. Women's Love Addiction Support Group, Female Survivors of Sexual Trauma, End of Relationship Support Group, Relapse Prevention Group, Women's Codependency Group, Women's Trauma Group, Family Support Group, Grief and Loss, Betrayal Trauma, Healing After Infidelity, Men's group, trust after infidelity, men's group, self-sabotage. I mean, so here on the one hand, there's all of this joy and you love it. And on the other hand, there's a lot for you as the therapist to take in and to, to manage and hold and process. Um, and, and how do you do that? How, how, what's you, what is your self-care so that you're staying in the sustaining joy place with all of this hard work? I love that question because it's so easy to answer for me. People ask me this all the time. How do you do such heavy work all the time? Mm -hmm. And I always have two just immediate answers. And they're so natural for me to say, number one, I'm really comfortable with dark, heavy stuff because that was my world. I Mm. wouldn't know what to do with someone said, I just have anxiety, but everything in life is going well. uh, I'm not the right fit for you. I don't get it. Um, and here's why it feels easy. I know exactly the roadmap that a person needs in order to get from that dark, heavy, physiological fatigue, profound pain, ruminating, struggling thoughts of you know, negative self-talk that, that keep us in these dark spaces of, of sabotage and making you know, terrible decisions. I know the roadmap that works. Mm-hmm. And it is a combination of destigmatizing it's a combination of helping people replace their shame with non-judgmental understanding and 
surrounding themselves with like-minded people who have similar mindsets so that they can hear their thoughts and feelings echo back to them and be able to develop different insights. So it's very easy because I always know they're going to end up feeling a lot lighter and better by the time I'm done with them. So I, um, it's the reality is I've been doing this for so long that it's, I've kind of just, you know, I took a chance many, 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 many years ago and I started with just one group and then it took off and I started building more and more groups. And I realized I'm really onto something. This is working. People are coming back. People are feeling better. People are sending me emails on a daily basis and weekly basis saying, thank you so much for running this group. I was a shell of a person and I'm literally now I'm laughing again. I'm, I'm able to connect to my body again. I'm able to be a good partner again. I'm yeah. able to understand. I don't have to raise my voice. I can express my feelings instead. You know, it's it. I get excited working with the dark stuff because I know that I'm 110% fully invested. Mm-hmm. And I know that I'm not going to drop out. And so I know where I'm going to take them. I'm excited to see them get to the feeling better place. Yeah. Yeah. So Brianna, you're, when you say that I'm not going to drop out, like you're in it, you're in it and you were in it and, and you found the way out for you. And so, you know, you have that hope that you instill in your clients, in the group members, there is a way out and there's a way to the laughter, which I think is so important. There's a way to being partnered again, all of those things that make up our fulfilled lives. You know, it's, it's interesting. You just pointed something out that um, was t- told to me many years ago about, from a good mentor, a good colleague and friend. I remember I was going through something really, really painful, difficult. And I said, oh, I just hope that it, and they cut me off and they said, oh, hope is dangerous. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, hope isn't safe. And I said, mm, I don't know about that. So what I realized was I started teaching a lot of my clients and group participants we don't have to be afraid of hope if we know 100% we're intending on making the outcome come to fruition. And the other part is knowing that, look, the reality is 50% of the work was getting, getting ourselves to sign up for something so overwhelming and scary. And I all the time humor completely in, in all of the groups. I I'm a total goofball. Everyone who knows me, know I am a total goofball. I find humor in everything. And I, what I love so much about you is like, you use the word silly, even in our email exchange for this, you know, Oh, what there somehow the word silly came in. I'm like, Oh, I just love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's important because it's so easy to not find laughter and yes. our, our brains are total jerks. Our brains are assholes. I say that all the time. Our brains are assholes. And so I tell my clients, it sounds like your brain's being a real jerk today. Let's have a talk of it. So I mm-hmm. tell people, especially in the groups, um, we have to be able to kind of find the irony of the fact that even though we're terrified of being vulnerable, we find ourselves pushing buttons to sign up for a really scary, vulnerable group. And so I always open up the group, especially in my men's sabotage group. I'll say, uh, you know, I always ask, so raise your hand if you're not really excited to be here. And everybody's hands go up. Right. Like, oh, good, I'm right on track. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of let people know, you know, of course, you're not looking forward to this. You're going to be vulnerable and you're going to feel those feelings. Yeah. So it, it's, um, it's a neat process. That's, that's amazing. And 
you know, going back to what you said about hope, which is so important that we must pair it with intentionality, that we have the intention and the belief or whatever you want to call it so that it's real. (laughs) Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You make it sound so easy, right? And, and, you know, for the listener, I mean, it's, it's important that, you know, Brianna also sees individuals. She has other components of her amazing practice, which I, I would love to talk a little bit about some of the rehab counseling as well. But for now, staying on the group subject, a lot of therapists out there are probably like, how the heck does she do that? It is so hard for me to get a group of six people in my community you know, like, what is your secret? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm so glad you asked this question. It's so funny. So running groups is not for the faint of heart. There are so many components of running groups that people have no idea about. You know, I think people have this impression that I'll just make a, I'll just make a graphic flyer on Microsoft Word or Canva and I'll put it up on social media. People will come. There, if you were first off, you have to travel the world. That was part of <laughs> part of your story. It's not easy to to run a group. <laughs> yeah, that would be an understatement. There are so many moving parts. I actually just about a month ago, um, I was training my admin team, my care team, in my practice, and I put together a manual from start to finish of running groups, hmm. and being twenty nine pages. And in I believe group, it. I realized oh my goodness, this is so much work. People have no idea what goes into running. There are so many structural components. There's mm-hmm. understanding how to run a group. There's there's policies behind it that you have to understand. There's the consent forms. These are the, the legal policies. There's the structure. There's the content. There's screening. There's mm-hmm. learning how to target. There's learning how to market. Um, there's learning how to you know schedule, learning how to how to price properly. There are so many components. So I think it's, you know, I'm going to be hosting a webinar for a, a huge network of people who said like, can I pick your brain? I go, I don't have time for you to pick my brain. Right. Have a webinar for everybody. So great. there is going to be a, a webinar, um, but it's going to be uh, probably um, before this episode um, is, is live for the podcast, mm-hmm. but I will be doing those webinars throughout the year for those people who really do want to learn the what not to do as a group it I gotta tell you I cringe constantly I see people making mistakes all the time with some of the yeah. terms and phrases that they'll utilize on social media and you know it's not my job so I just say all right keeping my side of the street clean but right there are a lot of there are a lot of parts to to running <laughs> you know yes Yes, right. Exactly. Well, and I love that. And and of course, we'll, we'll make sure to update the show notes so that when when you listen, you'll be able to see what's what's coming up. And also, it'll be on your website, which is really great. Um, Hamza, Hamza Healing, tell me the website again. HamzaHealingSpace.com. Yes. And definitely check that out because you can see all of the different groups and how they're described. And um, it's, it's just beautiful. I mean, that your website is almost like a manual in itself. Thank you. It's taken a, it's taken a lot of years of different kind of formation and playing with it. You know, I write all the content because I really, I'm not one of these you know, clients either, you know, most of the people who gravitate towards my style, they've got a little bit of goofball in them and they really, um, they don't really know how to be anything, but just kind of authentic. And that's, 
that you know that's kind of this how I want to present um this is this is it you know I'm exactly exactly you're you're so real and that more and more I just see that as such an important gift that we share with our clients, right? Whatever, whatever our real or our authentic, you know, side is because it helps them see like taking that blindfold off or, you know, just turning the mirror. Look, you know, we're all human. We're all good. And we need to take this blindfold off so we can continue to grow and like really allow ourselves to, to risk into change. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I, I normalize this all the time is, you know, of course, you know, I have a, I have a rule in my group, cussing is allowed. Mm-hmm. And I always let people know, you know, so if someone says, Oh, sorry, after they cuss, I giggle and I say, hey, I'm pretty sure we've heard that word before. <laughs> let people know, I, I really kind of take the, the stoic rigidity out of the experiences. Yes. And, you know, whether it's in my groups or individual, but I, I let people know, um, I, I definitely normalize and I try to exhibit the level of authenticity. I was like, listen, you know, that not, you know, I'm, when we're on camera for one hour with our clients, we're on our best behavior, but you know that when we stub our tower, we're also saying shit, you know, and when, exactly, you know, and, I and say, you, be yourself. I mean, that's what I always tell my clients, be yourself. Yeah. Let's, let's just be, it's, it's so much easier that way. Then we don't have to work and strip off all the top three layers, you know? Yeah, exactly. You also were saying something about the clients who, you know, are so nervous to, I mean, I would be one. I am not a huge group person. I would be like, oh, I don't know. I don't really feel like talking in the group. I'll show up. But then, you know, or if I say something, I really want my turn to pass sooner. So like those misinformation pieces, what what would you say to, you know, a therapist who's trying to help their clients move into and try a group therapy oh, setting? Oh, that's, I love that question. It gets me excited. Here's what I tell every colleague. I, I get I get emails all the time from colleagues. Would this type of person be appropriate for group? And this is always my standard answer. Try it. Send them over. Let's screen them. Let me let me talk to them. I love that. Try it. Let's go for it. What I usually tell people is tell your client the following words. I promise to make them giggle. And I promise to make sure that they feel at home within the first five minutes of our screening phone consultation. And if they don't feel it and their intuition and body don't feel it, it's not the right fit. Mm. So as soon as, because I've trained my care team, they help with some of the screenings when my schedule is bonkers and they are so warm and such goofballs and so silly. (laughs) They're also in the field and they're lovely. And we normalize you know, we're also patients and clients. We also have providers. We're, we're just in our work role right now. So when we, when we have our consultations and screening calls um, with prospective participants for the groups or with individual sessions, um, you know, I've developed a screening process. And the first thing mm-hmm. I'll say on the phone, I always say this. I always start the conversation the same. Are you feeling extremely nervous? Do you have knots in your stomach right now? They say, yeah, kind of. And I guess I'm, oh, good. Then you're right on track. It sounds like you're human to me. Oh, I love that. Trying to just acknowledge and say, like, right. yeah, let's figure it out together so they don't feel alone. Yeah. Lightening it a little bit. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. And you know what? I, I really love that 
little bit, you said that, you know, I promise that you'll giggle and, and he'll feel at home in the first five minutes. That's, that's the connection that we want. And it goes right back to that, that community. And then, you know, you gave that amazing example of those survivors of captivity who created their own home as a result of being in your group, like home and connection and community is such a big part of what you do. Yeah. And, and that, that idea of, I always tell people, um, I like the idea of coming home instead of going home. Hmm. Coming home means we can create whatever it needs to be for us. A lot of us, I'll speak for myself. I did not have any sense of stability or anger Hmm. or anything healthy in my early life years at all. And so when I learned the skills that were imperative for creating a sense of anchor, sense of purpose in life. It, it was like, it was like I had learned a whole new language mm. in my groups, in my first meeting with all the group members, I explained, you're about to learn a whole new culture and language that is going to lead you to shed that heaviness. And you're going to actually realize your body is going to actually deconstruct. So we do a lot of somatic awareness in these groups. Sure. And, you know, I got to tell you, I do have a soft spot for the men's self-sabotage group because oh, I'm sure <laughs> these are usually people who come to group and they have the biggest wall up. They're so guarded. You know, they are they have so much anger. And all I see in front of me is just so much tenderness and so much pain. And I just I can't wait to teach them that they really, really are good souls and that they have good values. They just haven't been taught how to use them. That's, that's amazing. You know, for some reason, I mean, this is just crazy, but I was thinking so much about the word tender today before, you know, I think like as a podcast host, I want to be, I want to be on, I want to like think about group work and the questions I might want to ask. And this word tender just kept popping into my head. I'm like, what? But that's such an important part, right, of the work we're doing all the time. And then especially with with people that have the anger or that have, you know, so much trauma and they have to put up these boundaries to just like, you know, they might be prickly, but but there's that tenderness there that we're trying to access. Yeah. I usually, um, I'm very playful with my angriest clients. I usually say, you know, one way or another, you're going to end up liking me at some point, no matter how much I drive you bonkers. Uh, but they keep coming back. And I, and I, mm-hmm. it out and I say like, I don't know, have you noticed you keep coming back to this process, you know, and, and there's a giggle there and they kind of, they yeah. know that they're, um, they're not going to be, there's not going to be a confrontation. It's not going to be conflict. There's not going to be, it's going to be challenging because listen, I will tell you, my style is very direct and assertive. Mm-hmm. I am a very directive style clinician. I don't believe in passive psychotherapy. That's not my style. I really want people to have tools. Yes. So I'm very directive. I think most of us are receptive to, especially when we, you know, show up at a virtual doorstep and say, I'm hurting. I don't know what to do with my brain or my life or my heart or my soul. We need someone to be able to say, ah, I know exactly what to do. Follow me. Yeah, um, exactly. That's what they need. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I wonder, because we both come from the clinical rehab background, which I think is so interesting. I remember when we met years ago and I was like, oh, I have hardly met any other clinical rehab counselors. Few of us. There's so few of us. But I wonder, do you think that there's a a bit more of that 
directiveness or maybe, you know, the, like the psychiatric re- rehab model or the peer engagement model? Like, do you think that influenced us? That's a great question. I, I think that's probably 50% of it. I, you know, I think 50% of it is what type of personality we have, you know, have we always been a little bit of, I'm kind of the louder one or, you know, the one in the groups, you know, maybe at recess who said, Hey, I'll go get the ball. It fell down the hill. Yeah. It's, I was so, so excited to know that you are also a clinical rehabilitation counselor because there are so few of us around the country. And and for those who are not familiar, yeah, an emphasis on working with um, persons experiencing either acquired injuries or disabilities. So this can include anything from, you know, cognitive impairments. One of my specialties is traumatic brain injury because I have very personal experience with that. Um, I see. And then there's also, you know, anything from functional impairments like cerebral palsy or um, loss of limbs um, to, of course, psychiatric disabilities and substance use disorders. So what Mm -hmm. I I think is neat about the rehabilitation component is it very much focuses on you don't have a choice here. We're going to get you better. We're going to get you from where you are presenting today to, oh, I guarantee you by the time I'm done with you, you're going to have more functioning. Yes. Right. And I think the training in that is, it's almost like the program. I don't, I'd love to hear your opinion on it, Cindy, but my experience was there is literally a consistent, unconditional positive regard. And no matter what, no matter how much the client might be hurting and suffering and feeling of self-doubt, I'm going to carry the belief. Now, what's interesting is in psychotherapy, there's this phrase, well, don't work harder than your client. That's always correct and accurate. I <laughs> think we do need to because we're modeling. And yes. I think we can instill a sense of, oh, that, you know what? They believe in me. All right, let me get back on track. Right. So right. I think that model, I kind of lean heavily and I think you nailed it. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, I, my, I, I would say exactly the same thing, Brianna. Um, it's definitely a much more active role that the therapist plays. And so that's really good. You know, I've, I've never thought about it that way. And I do say don't work harder than your client, but I will also tell the therapist that I'm training or that I work with, you know, you need to do what you tell them you're going to do. You need to follow up on this or, you know, uh, provide resources or connect them to something. And, you know, that comes from just this like community-based work clinical case management work that I think is really also a part of the the rehab counseling training because we're always working in an, a broader ecological system to uh, to advocate for our clients and make sure they have the supports. And then the other thing I think which really blends so well with the group therapy that you do is it's very, very much about making sure that the person has an entree into a community and supports. And this is what now you've like created as your niche, you know, the group therapy, which is all about increasing support and expanding community for people through the process of health, you know, the, the mental health. And uh, you know what else you just, you just nailed it again. You know, again, I think this, the clinical rehabilitation counseling component, um, I think it's absolutely bonkers that we would not it automatically involves case management when we're working with our clients. I think it's absurd. It naturally, to me, when I'm working with a client and the client says to me, well, you know, I just don't know if I'll be able to pay rent. 
my immediate brain goes to, let me look this up. I'm going to send them this link to this resource. Not, oh, good luck with that. I hope you find a case manager. It's so absurd. Right. You know, like, it's just, I'm so grateful that I fell into the graduate program that I did because um, I wasn't looking for it. And when, when I found that it existed, mm-hmm. like, oh, this is speaking to me. This is exactly, I didn't even know this was a thing. So yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know it was a thing either. Um, and I, I really appreciate the approach and I think, you know, we, we still use it clearly in our, in our work. I'm trying to think what I haven't asked you that would be, would be really helpful to know. Um, oh, I know the, you've transitioned from more in-person groups through the pandemic to online virtual platform. Any, any like big surprises or things you do differently virtually that might be yes. a helpful thing. I am in disbelief. <laughs> I never in a million years thought I would work virtually ever. It wasn't me. I used to only run in-person groups. When the pandemic hit, I was absolutely terrified. Hmm. I spent night after night crying, saying my practice is going to fall apart. I'm not going to be able to create community for people. How are people going to log in and feel community? I was so wrong. And the universe said, ha ha, I'll show you. (laughs) Because of this, it has now extended accessibility across state lines. It's phenomenal. Wow. Now, instead of helping, you know, maybe only five people, now I'm opening up two and three cycles of groups at a time that can have 10 people in a group. So I'll have 40 people reach out instead of maybe five people. Not only have I been able to help more people, but the groups, I will tell you this, the larger the group, the more effective the group is. Why is that? There's two reasons. One, people feel less nervous the bigger Mm. the size because they don't feel like they're on the spot. Mm. And... There's a sense of relief and solace knowing, oh, well, if there's a question asked, there's not just five of us. There's the chance of me feeling pressure, like I need to speak. And what's always interesting, (laughs) it just happens every cycle. By the third group, everyone is chatterboxes. The first (laughs) groups, I always let everybody, listen, if you're feeling terrified, you're not going to say a word. Don't worry about it. There's no pressure. And I also let everybody know, by the way, the reason why I facilitate the groups the way I do is there's zero pressure on the participants. Speaking and sharing is not required. It's allowed. Meaning mm. you can share whenever you want to because I have very interactive specific exercises that I guide the groups through. So they're really about introspective exercises. So they're coming and learning about themselves. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, it's just a natural after effect. People are, people, there's just several people that in every single group cycle say, you know, I know I'm talking a lot, but and I say, you better keep talking. You know, right, right. Um, the virtual access has absolutely exploded. Um, I am now able to offer so much more accessibility to so many more people. And mm-hmm. hello, there's something, there's a big red flag here, which is wonderful. I call it, actually, I should call it the green flag. When I used to run groups in person, uh, there were the following issues. The building would lock past 5 p.m. Always. Uh, <laughs> this group, if they were stuck in traffic. People couldn't find, you know, babysitters or childcare. Hello, driving in traffic causes stress. They don't feel like they're very present and ready to engage in group. If they're not feeling well, they don't have the ability to just listen in. Now, all of those factors have gone away. I now have so much more participation because working adults who have responsibilities like 
children, pets, work obligations, stuck in traffic, running 10 minutes late. They can now listen. They can now say, you know what? My kid's on the couch. I've got my earplugs in. They're safe. They're in mm-hmm. my ear. They're so perfect. Dinner. And now I can just take care of me. It has just, it's worked beautifully. And that's the other neat part is we're also modeling for everyone and demonstrating, of course, life's a shit show. The dog threw up and the baby's sick. Exactly. And so we're normalizing it. And so when someone's kitty cat runs across the webcam and there's a naked toddler in the room, <laughs> you know, it gives us um, giggles and humor. Says, yes. So it, 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 it's opened up such a human element. And oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Notice Brianna, you always bring it back to giggles. That's the best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really, it's really it's been so good. I'll tell you a funny story, you know, so my practice name, Hamsa Healing Space, for those who are not familiar with what Hamsa is, Hamsa is an Aramaic word. And mm-hmm. um, in Hebrew and Arabic, um, these two languages are so similar. There's so many overlaps. And the word Hamsa, um, it is a symbol of the hand, which represents welcoming blessings. So mm-hmm. the hand is saying, please come. And a lot of people are unfamiliar with this and they don't know what the actual symbolism is. Um, And the reason why I kind of made it um, kind of vague is I, I want it to speak to all different types of cultural backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds. So Um, beautiful. One of the neatest parts of my practice is the diversity of the group participants is so neat. And I'll share this with you. This Mm -hmm. is what lights my whole tummy up. Uh, about three years ago, I'll never forget it. I had a group participant who was 84 years old. Wow. And the rest of the group participants, <laughs> they were in their 20s and 30s, totally different phase of life. Mm-hmm. And the older individual said, I don't really know, you know, if this is going to be okay. You know, what's, mm-hmm. what's it going to be like? And I said, let's just try it and see what happens naturally. So here's the neatest outcome. The older individual ended up learning so much from the younger people because this person was brought back to life with so many neat aspects that in their generation, they never were introduced to, uh, you know, being assertive, having a choice. And right. younger individuals were so inspired and so humbled that they, I remember one of the group participants saying, wow it makes a lot of the things I've been focused on like just go away. Like that's so insignificant when I see someone like you. Oh, came from totally different. ethnic. So powerful. So cool. And so I kind of tell people when they reach out, when some people say, you know, I'm really looking for a younger group. I'll say, I have designed two options now. So I actually offer two different types of groups. Mm-hmm. group topic. I'll run one group that's kind of a younger demographic if people are looking for that. And then I'll run a group that's mixed. So they, so they get to choose. So some will say, oh, I want the mix. I want to hear all different perspectives. Um, and that's yeah. usually the norm. So it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of strange how the things have just kind of taken a life of their own and, and it's neat. That is, that is so great. What, what a wonderful story. I mean, real life story. And you paired that with the Hamsa that's like welcoming blessings. And those were blessings for all of the members of that group to, to learn and experience that together, which I just, 
That's so neat. Yeah. Um, are you like the sole provider of these groups? Like, are you the front facing therapist here? Yeah. So people don't actually, re- it's me. Um, I'll tell you, I never, <laughs> I never wanted to be, um, a group practice owner ever. Mm-hmm. I, I do not desire to do so. I love mentoring. I do a lot of, you know, supervising mentoring, yeah. um, and consultation services, but I, I do not run a group intentionally. Um, I love running the groups, so I mm-hmm. want to do it. It gives me life. Um, so I don't, I don't, first of all, I can't train someone in my personality. I, I can't. Right. Right. You so, love this. This is the part of being a therapist you love. And, and yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. So I, um, I don't have, I don't have people working under me that run the groups. I have had several people reach out to me, you know, um, wanting to learn how to run the groups and, and I can only go so far. I teach yeah. all, you know, all the structure, all the skills, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I tell people, you know, not everybody's cut out to do groups. Right. Right. Well, I know for sure, Brianna, after this episode, lots of people are going to be contacting you wanting to know, how do I, how do I run groups? How do I do some of this? Because you are so inspiring and you make it sound not easy. You make it sound like it takes a lot of work. There's planning, there's, there's the structure, there's the outline quotes curriculum. There's so much that's involved, the marketing and all of that, but the gain and the the reach and the impact on, on people is so huge. And it's, and it's, it's needed now more than ever. And do we need to build community and safe community and health for people now more than ever? I I mean, really, I think we, we need that so, so much. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, that, you know, you just reminded me of something that came to my mind a couple of days ago. Um, believe it or not, <laughs> I'm actually not such a people person. And um, I, you know, on my, so you'd asked me much earlier, how do I engage in self-care? And um, yeah, are actually fully 100% spent either in nature alone or going and doing something alone. So, Mm. um, you know, I, I practice daily. I, I, do yoga for myself, but I actually like a lot of alone time because I don't think people are aware of how much energy is exerted with our type of work. And when you hold space for 11 people in a group with lots of personalities and lots right. of differences and qualities, um, for people like us who are highly sensitive and we absorb it through our pores, we can feel depleted and exhausted, even though we feel full, it's a lot. Um, yes. So what I usually tell people in the groups is, all right, you got your fix for the week. You got your connection to community. You got your people. Now go allow yourself permission to say, now I don't have to judge myself if I'm spending a little bit more time alone these days. Mm-hmm. This also allows that anger. Yes. Oh, that's so important. And I think so many therapists experience just what you said, you know, and we could have a, another episode sometime on how do we negotiate that and navigate that? Cause we do need that alone space. And yet we have families, we have partners, we have, you know, all of these other demands. So I'll table that one. So how can people find you? I guess I should give that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> details. So there's a couple of ways you're, anyone is welcome to reach out. It's www.com. Humsahealingspace.com, and I'll spell that. 
Amsa's H A M, like Mary, S like Samuel, A like Apple, and then healing, like healing a cut and space, like outer space. So hamsahealingspace.com. Or you can, I mean, you can basically Google any of the support group titles and it'll come, it should be coming up. Um, but our right. website is usually the easiest kind of landing space for most people because the website also discusses the different services that that I provide in the practice. You know, if there's someone's needing vocational services versus rehabilitation versus the group yes. component. Um, right now, the groups are, so I, a lot of people ask, well, how, when's the next cycle starting? So they run in mm-hmm. cycles. So it really mm-hmm. just depend on, well, did I just finish a group or am I getting ready to launch the next cycle? So the website's usually the best to kind of Great. see. Yeah. And, and people can join regardless of what state they're in. Yes. And that's the, right. part. the way I've structured the groups is um, I explained to people, um, I cut out all the red tape. So mm-hmm. I do not require an intake psychiatric eval with a, with a diagnosis assigned. Um, and that yeah. way, um, you are not one going to be slapped with a label that likely 99% of the time is just completely wrong because right. I don't believe in a diagnosis the first three times we meet someone. Sure. Uh, so therefore, state um, these groups are um, open across state lines. Great. That's wonderful. So people might want to refer to you as well. Um, you know, refer some, some clients to you, which would be great. (laughs) Um, so I love to end with a question that I ask everybody, what is your definition of a heart centered therapist? I'd say you, Cindy, um, you are as authentic as it comes there. Mm. it's, It's a simple warm intuitive presence and it's a 110 percent commitment with eye contact and our body language saying i'm here right with you and we're in tunnel vision together mm, yeah i draw from that and that's why i think the name of your podcast just it really speaks to a lot of people and people in our community who know you there's nothing easier to associate you with than warmth and authenticity oh. so i would say you oh my goodness Thank you so much for that, Brianna. You that you touch me so much and thank you for that gift. You know, sometimes it's hard to take that in, but that is who I aspire to be and what I want other people to feel as well when they get to do this work that well, we're so lucky is, to do. You don't have to aspire, you're just doing it. Uh, caring for you. I don't think you yeah. would even have to ever try. It's just kind of <laughs> Oh, that's, that's amazing. Well, it's, it's been such a privilege. And I really just want to acknowledge you for the amazing work you're doing in touching so many people's lives and helping them on this journey. And, you know, we started by talking about journeys and they're difficult, no matter where we are in life, we've been through difficult journeys. And I really want to acknowledge you, Brianna, for how you are really impacting others through your own personal experience and professional experience and helping people giggle and feel at home in five minutes. That's the best. Thank you so much for having me today, Cindy. I really appreciate it. It was so yeah. Thank you too. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. 
Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.